Welcome back, everyone, to the second episode of the Kentucky Wildcast. I am your host, Ryan Story, and with me this month, I have a new co-host. She is a fellow staff engagement committee member, uh, and this is Candace Owens. Hi, I'm Candace Owens. I've worked at UK for about 16 years now, and this is my first year on the Staff Senate Engagement Committee, and I'm really excited. I've also served on a couple other committees. My current job is in healthcare, like I said, and I hope that you all enjoy the podcast, and I'm really excited to be co-hosting with everyone today. All right. Well, welcome, Candice. I'm sure all of our listeners will give you a nice warm welcome. Um, we also wanted to hit on our new thing from the Staff Senate, and that is the Creativity Showcase. So, Candice, can you tell us a little bit about that showcase? Yes. Um, me being, I love poetry myself, so we created, um, I think as, as an engagement committee, we all have a lot of different passions. And so we created the first um, display and, and sent out the innovation showcase and it should be live right now, or if not, it should be very soon. We've received outstanding submission, great participation, and we're beyond excited to, to highlight and show all the creative and innovation people at UK because it's absolutely amazing. Um, you can find the showcase online on our website. It's uky.edu slash staff senate and um, ryan should hopefully link it in the podcast and, and give you all that information once you're there you'll just hover over the programs tab at the top and then you can see our showcase link click on it browse around and get inspired if you if you didn't submit anything for this showcase it's okay we're going to do it again if you did submit anything thank you so much for everyone that participated because it's all about engagement so we want that participation we plan on doing a few showcases a year so bear with us as we work out the kinks for the first round it's only going to get better as we go um keep an ear out on the podcast and an eye out on the uk staff senate social media for updates on the future showcase and opportunities and we hope that you guys enjoy it as much as we enjoyed looking at everything and being a part of it. So back to you, Ryan. Sounds great. Uh, I know that we have a couple people in our office that submitted some things. Uh, I, I submitted my personal podcast on there as well. So if you, if you want to hear more of my voice, you can check out that as well. All right. Well, this month we have a, a new guest as always. Uh, her name is Holly Powers, and I'm going to let her introduce herself, and get, we can all get to know her. Hi, guys. My name is Holly. I'm with the Department of Pediatrics. I'm an administrative staff officer. Um, I've been with UK since about 2007. Uh, I did my externship with a wonderful doctor named Dr. Cottrell, who has um, now passed, but she um, she kind of opened my world and my eyes to UK, and um, and I kind of found my home. I felt like I was home and uh, I started as a STEPS employee and got hired on full time and I just found my passion and I've been there ever since. So you started as, as STEPS. Did you go to UK as undergrad? I did. Um, I kind of went the back. I kind of went a little backwards. <laughs> so um, I got out of high school. I went to UK undergrad for about two years, had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and then finally was like, man, we're going to take some time off school, um, focus on some other, other, maybe, you know, adulting tasks that I thought that, you know, <laughs> like the, the milestones I felt like I needed to meet. Um, so the next one was get a job, um, kind of just support myself. And then I bought a house and then during, 
during that house process and um, what's really funny is I lost my full-time job the day that I signed the mortgage on my house. The, the same exact day? <laughs> the same day, like two hours before I signed my mortgage. I literally was just um, refi. I signed a refinance yesterday. And so they asked all these too. questions <laughs> about like, has anything changed? And I made the joke of like, oh yeah, something changed in the last five minutes, but that actually happened to you. <laughs> and I just, kept my mouth shut. <laughs> so unfortunately, um, but I knew that I had enough support that it wasn't going to be an issue. So, um, and I was working two jobs at the time, but I lost my full-time one. So I fell back on my part-time and, and I was able to make it, make it work. Um, but during that process in that six months after I signed what I felt like was my death wish, <laughs> um, I just realized, you know what, I really need to go back to school, but I still have no idea what I want to do. So I looked at some of the other colleges and universities around um, outside of UK just to kind of see what my options were. And I ended up at Sullivan University for the medical assistance program. And, you know, I'd worked at a vet, as a vet tech and I'd done all these things and I knew kind of where my interests lie. Um, but really medical assisting kind of brought everything together and, and connected everything for me. So, um, so when I did my externship in the pediatric office, um, pediatric cardiology with Dr. Cottrell, it just, I felt like I was home. So I felt like I'd landed and this is where I was supposed to be. I, I feel like I tend to hear that a lot about UK and it's good to hear that that's also true with the healthcare side because, you know, on mm -hmm. the academic side, I hear that all the time, even from like prospective students, I hear, you know, I, I was, I came and I did a visit and it just felt like home. And so I, I feel like that's the motto that really UK should start to adopt. Um, so yeah, UK, it just feels like exactly. Home. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I remember when you started Holly, that's how we met. Like she, she was, I was working there as the registration and she started and like her personality was, I was like, Oh my God. Yay. <laughs> like she's, she's positive. My ideals like so it was really exciting whenever to see you know her join and become a part of that so other than you know getting paid and having a full-time job and paying your mortgage um what is it about uk that that keeps bringing you back like can you just basically like expound a little bit on like what is it that makes it feel like home um just the i know that the culture um sometimes is this big university but I, it's, it's kind of like a it's kind of like the city like Lexington feels like a big city, but it's not, you know, UK feels like this big enterprise, but it's, it's really not. You've got people who are so connected, you know, everybody and you, you know, you meet new people every day. So you're like, oh, there's this huge amount of people here, but yet, you know, it's like six degrees of separation. You know? <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, that person, well, I know this person and this person who worked with that person. And, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a big family. Um, and I feel like we all have this kind of kindred, you know, like when someone says they work for UK, it's like, oh, I work for UK too. Where do you work? You know? And um, so I feel like it is this big family and I'm, and I'm such um, a big believer in family and especially that family work um, group, because you spend more time with your coworkers sometimes than you spend with your own family. You know, I see my, my child two to three hours a day. I see my coworkers eight hours a day. So, so, um, you know, it's really important to have those personal relationships. And I feel like UK allows me to do that. So. That's awesome. 
Um, so in our, in our first episode, we had, we had John and he, he described himself primarily as an optimist. Um, so if you were going to pick one word, what, how would you describe yourself? Well, he took mine. No. Um, Sorry. Yeah. We can't have, we can't have everybody being optimists. Um, I would say, I say that I'm very empathetic. I'm very good at understanding where people are coming from and putting myself in their shoes. Um, I also feel that that's part of my, part of my responsibilities um, as a supervisor is to understand my employees and to know what's happening with them and to understand where they're coming from. So I can step back and look at all the options and how to help them. Um, I tell them all the time that I'm not their boss. I am not here to tell them what to do. I'm here to make sure they have the tools to do it. So, um, you know, and coming from, you know, someone who in, you know, in a previous role, I felt like I didn't have the tools to do my job and it was very hard. And so I want to be that resource for them to, you know, and so I I empathize with their plight, you know, (laughs) whatever plight that may be, it could be running out of postage stamps or it could be that they have a sick kid and they're not sure what to do. So I think, uh, I think empathetic is probably my, my best um, my best word other than big hearted, because I, I do have respect and love for all of my coworkers and, and, um, everyone that I meet. So, well, and I've learned so much, um, you know, because like I said, I came from, uh, you know, I've worked my way up from the bottom and, and so coming from someone who's done the jobs that I'm asking my, you know, employees to do it, I, I understand where they're coming from. And I think that makes, um, makes me a better supervisor. And it also gives me the tools to be like, okay, now, what do I, what do I need to do for you? <laughs> so. Tell me a little bit more about specifically what you do and like the area that yeah. you work. So um, the, I work in department of pediatrics. I'm a staff administrative officer. I am um, over the recall and procedure scheduling team. So our team is the team tasked with calling the patients and getting them on the schedule. The ones that need like year and two year follow-up and making sure that we can provide that service and get them back on our schedule um, for their continuity of care. So procedure scheduling team takes care of scheduling anything that needs to be scheduled outside of the clinic. So if the doctor orders an MRI or um, they order a bronchoscopy, they put the order in and then our team picks it up and takes care of getting that um, coordinated and contacting the patient. So I have these two separate teams, but they work very well together. And sometimes they kind of hop on the other team and help each other out. Um, and then I also do some special projects for the um, administrative team over at uh, Department of Pediatrics. But this is still a very new role to me. I kind of took it on right at the beginning of the pandemic, along with my other previous role as a patient services coordinator senior for pediatric cardiology. So I was kind of playing um, double duty during the pandemic, which was also very interesting and also trying to set up telehealth for my team and, um, you know, working in a very, very different um, aspect and different setting than we're normally used to working in. So it was interesting. <laughs> Definitely. I, I think I've talked to several people who have started new positions in the pandemic and it's like, I'm, I'm so glad I didn't have to do that. Just had to adapt a little bit. Yeah. I, I would say that that's probably another good word for me is adaptable. I am a nothing if not adaptable. 
So, um, so we know a little bit about your UK side. Um, so let's find out a little bit about the non UK side. Um, so first I have a, I have a question that we asked John that I'm also curious for you. Um, who is someone that you look up to? It could be a celebrity, like it could be literally anybody, but just someone that you look up to as like an inspiration or, or someone that inspires you. I really don't have one person that I'm like, uh, you know, this is my person, basically anyone who is authentically themselves. I think we live in such a world where we have all these influencers telling us how things should be and, and what works for them. And I think if you can carve out your own way without really kind of drowning out all of that noise and figuring out who you are, I think that, um, I think that's so respect, respectable. And, you know, Candace has done a fantastic job. She is very authentically herself. And, um, you know, and there are things that I absolutely love about that. And so anyone who can really, um, like I said, drown out the noise and be them is, I have such respect and I greatly admire that. Uh, I, I also know Candace, Candace gave me a little bit of background on you. Um, so can you give, can you just talk a little bit about the things that you do outside of work and just like the things that you are passionate about? Yeah. Um, I'm very passionate about um, a lot of things. I think the, the biggest thing that leads to my passion is that there's no one way to get to any certain destination. Um, I've kind of always taken the roundabout way or the long way to get anywhere. <laughs> so um, for one thing is I always wanted a family. I'm very passionate about kids since I've worked in pediatrics for 13 years. Um, and I always knew that I wanted my own child. And, um, you know, I'm a single woman and, you know, when you talk about having your own child, it's a little daunting. Um, you know, I, I went through some medical procedures and they did not work. So I decided that what other way to do it is the fostering. So I went through the foster system um, and it was not an easy route, mostly because my emotional state was a little out of whack. Um, I was mad at the world. Basically, I was upset that I could not have my own child. I was wondering what I had done wrong. Um, and, and this is where kind of UK really played a part in that. You know, they offer all these fun services and free services for um, people who are struggling. And so I took advantage of the, um, of the mental health services to basically have someone to vent to and to, you know, give me some coping tools. And, um, and really, that's what really led me to, on my foster journey, because she was, you know, she kind of said, what, what do you want? And how do you, how do you get there? Um, and so I went down this foster road and, um, and used the services through the foster program, because it is very difficult. It is time consuming. It's very mentally challenging um, to go in and to understand what some of these children have gone through, um, you know, the horrible abuse or the neglect or, you know, all these numerous other things that you would never have thought a child could go through. And then they're be you're being taught how to deal with that child and the trauma that they've, um, that they've undergone. So taking those classes and going through that program. Um, and like I said, I have a really good support system. My parents went through it with me because they were going to be my respite care. So then um, I got to the end of the program and then it was like, okay, now I'm just going to sit and wait for a phone call. And meanwhile, you know, I have family members getting pregnant left and right. <laughs> and, and I'm still like, okay, where's my baby? Where's my child? I just want someone to love. Um, and really, and they teach you in the foster system. It's not about you. It's about the child. 
So, you know, if you think that you can't foster kids or you can't be in the foster system because you, you'll just, you'll break, your, your heart will get broken, it is supposed to get broken. You're supposed to pour yourself into that child and give them every little bit of love that you have. And when they get back or if they get reunited or if they go to a family member, you are supposed to handle that with dignity and grace and know that you love them for as long as you could love them. Um, my story had a little bit different ending. Um, I was able to adopt my foster daughter. So I've got a placement in December of 2017. I took a 24 day old home from the hospital um, and she has been the light of my life. <laughs> so um, she, she is, she is sassy and full of spunk and sometimes I'm just like what did I do to deserve you and that's a good thing and a bad thing so, um but she's you know but but it is it's a lot it was a long journey and it was very difficult and I felt like my family um not only from work but you know my home family and my work family were very very supportive of that decision and that move to adopt um and unfortunately you know we we adopted um, I was able to adopt her on December 10th of last year, and we were going to have a big adoption party um, in the spring, and then, you know, the pandemic hit. <laughs> so we still have not had a big, you know, celebration, but I think every day is a celebration because it's the, you know, it's the first, it's the, you know, not having to worry about someone, you know, coming and taking her, um, but it's a, you know, she's, she's, I don't think she could be more me than had I birthed her of my own body. So. Yeah, that's, that's a, truly an, an incredible story. Mm -hmm. uh, so thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. I know uh, I have some, some friends that have adopted, adopted uh, children as well. And I, it's, it's such a, a huge it's such a huge giving of yourself. You are choosing this child. You are, you are saying, you know, I, I want you to come in. So it's, it's just such a, such a huge show it, of love. It is. And I think, um, and I really think that there are not enough foster parents out there because people are scared. They're scared of what, um, of what could happen to them, to their family. They're scared of getting their hearts broken. You know, there's that whole, there's that whole quote that it's better to have loved than lost than never have loved at all. And I feel very, very strongly that that does not, that's not a romantic, you know, ro relationship that is for foster parents. That is for people who are helping these children grow and form connections. And I really, um, fostering is, is such a noble, um, enough, a noble, um, not, not profession, but it's, it's a noble calling. And I don't think people really understand that. I think foster parents often get a bad rap, um, but really it's all about opening your home and opening your heart to these kids. So um, that's really kind of a passion of mine. So I struggled with infertility and all of those things too. And um, I was blessed enough. I was going to, we tried foster and, and you remember Holly, I gave up because I was like, I can't, I, they wanted me to take all these classes. And, and so, um, you know, I think that's why I loved her, her love to feature her on here because her story is like beating all odds. It's like, you know, and so, um, you know, and I've thought about fostering too, but it's so scary because there is, you know, I'm a, I'm a single person too, but these kids do need that help. So I think it's good to know that that passion is, is being acted on. And yeah. so, and, and just because you are, 
alone in your household doesn't mean you are alone in the community. Well, my son um, needs a friend. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> the one thing I've really understood with foster with fostering is that there is such a huge foster community um, that, you know, there's Facebook pages, there's support groups, and there really is a ton of resources out there for people who, um, who are maybe thinking of fostering um, to contact and be like, hey, can I talk to, you know, I need to talk to a foster parent. I just, you know, there's informational classes, um, you know, and there's support groups for the stress that the caregivers actually feel. So, I mean, there's, um, there's a lot of training, there's a lot of support, and really you're not in it by yourself. Um, although sometimes it feels like it just because that, that mental anguish and anxiety that comes along with it, but you're not, you're never by yourself. So you ended up adopting your, your foster child. Did, was that the only foster experience that you had was just straight, was it it led to adoption? So I had a couple others. I'd gotten some phone calls, um, for placements that just weren't the right fit for me. Um, the first phone call I got was for a sibling set, a two-year-old and like a nine-month-old and coming from a single parent who has never been a parent before. I was like, uh, probably not the best thing. So, um, and you know, I really kind of went with my gut and said, you know, this is really not, not the placement for me. It's not going to be the best placement for the kids. Um, just because I didn't feel like I was ready for that now. Yeah. Bring it on more the merrier. So, um, I've got my house opened up right now for more placements. Um, so yeah, so I'm hopefully expecting phone calls, um, and we'll, and we'll, yeah, and we'll be making, um, you know, making some more, um, room in my heart for more kids, but, um, we'll just see what, see what it takes us. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I'm it's, it's, it's so great when you hear a story like that, that ends so well. Yeah. And there, you know, and there are so many different aspects to adoption. Um, you know, there are some people who are not for adoption at all, that they're for reunification. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't want to see her reunified with parents, but when the parents can't take care of them, this is the best option. Um, you know, and, and I've always, I've always, you know, remained very open that, you know, it, when she gets to the point where she's asking questions, I will be very honest. Um, but I don't ever want anyone to think that, you know, um, as an adopted child that she wasn't loved by her, you know, bio parents, because that's just not true. So, um, you know, like I said, we're going to, we're going to be open and honest and have those conversations and she's going to know, cause it's her story. Um, but I'm just, you know, I'm just here to help her and, and love her as much as I can and, and make her into an amazing human being, which she already is shaping up to be a. she'll be, she'll be a fun one. (laughs) That's always good to hear. Um, So if you could, I I don't know if, if you have, this is putting you a little bit on the spot, but if you were able to tell someone who has no experience, maybe like someone like me, no experience with the foster system, what would you want them to know about, about the system? Be patient. It is a very, very long and frustrating road. Um, it is one thing that, you know, it's make sure you attend the court hearings, make sure you pay attention, ask questions. Don't be afraid to contact the social worker. Don't be afraid to, um, you know, to stand up for your child, you know, because right now you are advocating for that child. Um, you know, I feel like foster parents don't necessarily have a lot of voice, which is, you know, part of the system It's because, you know, they're there to care for the child and they perform a, a very specific function. 
but you, while that child is in your home, you advocate for that child through your social worker. So, um, but it's the, it's, I think it's the patience that's the, the most of the, the biggest thing is that, cause it's just so frustrating and you feel like, okay, when is this going to be over? When are they going to do what's right for this child? Um, and the judges are trying to do that. The social workers are trying to do that. The state lawyer is trying to do that. So it's just having patience and waiting for the system to, to work itself through. Um, and also, you know, and to also take heart to, to understand that really the goal of fostering is to reunify them with their parents. So to understand that and to accept that um, is another huge, huge um, aspect of it is that you really have to accept that that, you know, you really don't have any control over what happens um, within the system, but just know and, and love them as much as you can. That's really great. So shifting a little bit away from that, uh, what are, so we've all spent a lot of time in our houses uh, in, the, in the last year. Um, so obviously probably most of what you do is with your daughter. Um, what are some of your favorite things to do at home with your daughter? Well, um, probably one of my favorite things is to hang out in the backyard. Um, I've really beautified, I'd like to say it, my back porch um, this past, you know, during the pandemic. Um, I was I turned 40 this past year, and I was supposed to take this big 40th birthday trip to Louisiana and go to New Orleans and go have fun with my best friend. And of course, it got, got shut down. So I decided, okay, what else do I want to do to my house? I've got the money that I'd saved away from this trip. Let's do something. So I, um, I revamped my back porch and I have a lovely koi pond with a waterfall and a big backyard. And that's awesome. Um, favorite thing is to go back there and, uh, sit down with a, a drink and a book and let the kiddo play in her playhouse and, we feed the fish together and um, basically to keep her from throwing things in the pond. That's always a good <laughs> that's time. So, <laughs> um, but it's, it's kind of my, my oasis. It's, you know, just calming. It's the calm place in my house, aside from having a three-year-old running around. I think we all need that right now because to find that calm place is so hard. And then you find yes. you don't want to leave it. It's like, mm-hmm. It sounds like a true sanctuary. Uh, I, I, I I think the the one thing that I really wish I had at my house is, is like a covered back porch area with and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, hopefully we'll be able to Mine's invest covered. in that. It has a fan. Yeah, see, so I was about to say with a fan. Yes, that's it's yeah. It's, you know, I feel like, when I go out there, I feel like the hunchback of Notre Dame screaming, sanctuary! <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that is the clip that we will use to advertise this episode right there. We talked last time about uh, Harry Potter houses. Uh, I, I, as you heard, I'm a Ravenclaw. I need to know what is your Harry Potter house. You as well, Candace. So I might be hated from everyone in staff senate. But I've never watched Harry Potter. Oh, no. What? You have a kid and too, I don't like you? Create- what? Yeah, he hasn't seen it either. Maybe it's I'm time. like denying him a whole different dimension of life. Yeah. I mean, I might need to. I like the little yogi guy, the little green guy, though. He's really cute. Little Dobby. Yeah. I was going to say, I think, are you Master talking about Yoda? Yoda. <laughs> Yoda. I think that's him. Yoda. That's, Yoda. A, that's, that's Star Wars. About. There's Mimsa. Oh, that's Star Wars. Oh, God. See, I need to stop. Can you delete this? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's edit, definitely edit going in. No, that's now. definitely going in. <laughs> Got to make sure everybody oh, knows God. Candace doesn't know who Yoda is. Your <laughs> Jen's going to kick me off. He's going to be like, yeah, we can't have is. anybody in it. 
kick you off. We will self self professed (laughs) nerd is going to definitely kick you off. Uh, so what? So I guess we don't know Candace's house. Uh, what about you, Holly? I would, you know, I am. It's hard to put me into just one house. At first, I was like Gryffindor, but really, I think I'm a mix between Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff. I I am a true Ravenclaw. To me, you kind of do sound like Gryffindor, if I'm being honest. So you know, because it's and, all about what doing you know, what's and I, right and everything that you've been talking yeah, about. I, I think you're a Gryffindor. I really. I really, you know, I would really like in my heart, I'm, I'm Gryffindor all the way and brave and true, but, um, but I also very have, I have definite uh, distinct qualities from the other ones. Um, but you know, (laughs) I've never actually taken one of those quizzes though. I should take one of those little internet quizzes. Um, so shifting back to UK a little bit. Um, so we, as a, I feel like our committee is already making UK a better place (laughs) because we're doing so many things. Um, but it's so more, maybe you can help more on the healthcare side. What do you think we can do to make UK just, just a little bit better or to make the world a better place? Either one. The world is a little ugly right now, unfortunately. Um, I think beautifying your surroundings and making things around you beautiful. Um, and whether that means picking up that piece of trash that you walk by, I can't tell you how many people I saw walk by a tissue and not pick it up. And I know gross, ew, ew, tissue, but there's a sink right there. Wash your hands. So, so I got, I was sitting in the, um, you know, sitting in the, the lunchroom by myself and this was a while back, but, um, and I was, and I noticed that there was, like I said, a napkin or tissue on the floor and, and like 20 people walked by it. And I think everyone tends to have that air of that's not my job. And um, I really think that it is everyone's job to make your surroundings pretty and beautiful. So, um, you know, whether that means picking up that napkin or pulling in the trash can for your neighbor or, um, you know, or really just giving someone a smile and, and really caring about how their day went. Um, I think beautifying your world will help beautify the world for everyone else. So, um, you know, like I said, I was, we spend so much time in our home. I felt like this year, I was like, I'm going to do everything I can to my house. And then I started thinking about how can I make my area better for everyone else? Um, and so my project has been to really, you know, create an outside world around my house that people like to come in and look at. And I'm a big decorator. So I went and um, with my dad created these really cool pallet trees with Christmas lights on them. And I have a bunch of pallet trees sitting out in front of my house still um, and along my back fence that are lit because it's just fun and lively and bright and beautiful to look at. And I feel like right now we kind of need that. Um, and even my neighbor would call me up and she goes, I just love those pallet trees. Please don't take them down. <laughs> so they might be up there for a little bit longer. Um, I'm going to be the one person with Christmas lights outside of her house until like June. You're the person I make fun of. I'm like, they still got their Christmas lights up. I am the person who we're making fun of. Um, But I just think it's, you know, to have that bright little spot um, and to kind of beautify your surroundings is, um, I think, you know, really what everyone kind of needs to take away from this is that it's your responsibility to make your world pretty and your world beautiful and nice and kind. And so anything you can do to do that really makes the enterprise as a whole that way. That's great. Do you offer your decorating services, Holly? <laughs> you know, I no, just bought I that house, my dad. and it's pretty, it's pretty bad. So I need some help. 
Um, so, so the wildcast, this part, this podcast is all about featuring people at UK who make the impossible possible and really just, you know, trying to tell stories about the, the wonderful people that we have at UK. Um, obviously Candace thought you were worthy of that. And I'm, I'm glad that she did because <laughs> I, I'm so glad to hear your story. Uh, is there anyone in your sphere, either at UK or just in general, that you would like to to point out? Maybe you know them well. Maybe it's just somebody you have heard about. But um, just anybody at UK that you feel fits that description. So I really, there's there's a lot of people that fit that description. Um, I think the one that really is more out of the box thinker is Callie Raza. She is the medical director for pediatric cardiology. And she has some of the most off the wall thinking, but yet she has the support to be able to make it work. Um, you know, she comes up with some of these things and, and, you know, and we, and we, you know, I worked with her so, for so long, but we think very differently. And so when she would say something, I'd be like, oh, mm. and then we think, think through it and, you know, well, no, we can do it this way or we can do it that way. And. Um, I think she really has the patient's best interest um, and she uses very sound judgment when it comes to that. And I think that she is really a huge reason why um, pediatric cardiology is, is so fantastic about caring for patients and the patient experience scores are so high because they really, um, they see the work that's put in, they see the, the team that comes together to care for them and they really um, appreciate it. So I think she's probably probably the one that I can think of to be like, you know, she's probably embodies what UK needs. So I think it's really cool too, how you said how she's got the ability to make a difference by what she, cause you know, we all, some of us have really great ideals, but we don't mm -hmm. have anybody to express them to, or if we do, we can't really make any action on it. So yeah. that's really good yeah. to hear those different perspectives from someone that can actually. That management team, like I said, every once in a while we get this, someone comes up with this really off the wall idea and they all look at each other and they're like, Hmm, how can we make that work? Um, and they do, and it's fantastic. And like I said, Callie's one of the ones since she became medical director. Um, I think she's been medical director now for four-ish, five years. Um, there have been huge strides with um, that team and the care they give and um, the expectations, which is, you know, they have very high expectations. Um, and so I think that, you know, and it's, it's partly due to her, so... <laughs> Um, so you talked a lot about the the foster system. Is there any sort of like organization that we can point people to if they are looking to get involved with the foster system or or if they just want to support uh, the, like financially or anything? Do you know of any, just something that I might be able to point people towards? Um, they just need to reach out to DCBS. Um, there's a lot of information on the Kentucky.gov website about fostering and the foster um, informational classes. There's also the um, CASA support, which is the um, it's a child advocate um, support system. So um, any of those different areas will be great resources. Okay, great. I just wanted to make sure if, you know, if people are really moved by your story, like I was, that maybe yeah. they want to <laughs> go support. So people that are doing, you know, great things for those kids. Um, okay. Yeah. Final question for the interview portion here. Uh, we, so we ask everybody, what are you having for dinner tonight? <laughs> Whatever my mom is cooking. <laughs> <laughs> my, 
my, I eat dinner with my mom tonight. I go to their house. So whatever she is cooking, so I'm just going to sit back and let someone put a plate in front of me. It's going to be Well, fantastic. that sounds great. <laughs> I, I think we are having some, uh, something boring, chicken and rice or something. Not, not, not super exciting. I think she tonight. mentioned ribs. Oh, so I think that's what, I think that's what we're having. I think we're having and ribs. If you'll just give so. me that address. This is all for the show. Right. <laughs> Come on down. Making plenty. <laughs> I know when I get off at 4.15, I'm like, okay, I'm looking at my son and I'm like, okay, so do I have anything in the fridge? Are we doing pizza? Are we, <laughs> are we cooking? Holly knows. Yeah, I'm not. No, I trust me. If I was not having to pick up my child at, you know, 5.15 from my parents' house, I'd be doing the same thing. Like, but at this point I get there and she's already got dinner halfway made. She's like, do you want to stay for dinner? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. Especially especially since that's my only really social life outside of work is I, because of the pandemic, we're not, you know, we're not hanging out with anybody. So it's uh, that two hours of picking up my child and eating dinner with my parents is my, you know, little bit of social, social therapy is what I'm calling it. (laughs) There we go. Right. You you mentioned as soon as you get off work, uh, the, the game that I play with myself is how early is too early to eat dinner? every single day it's like i'm off at four and i just sit at my house anyway so i'm just like well when's it time to eat you know i mean i think that's how we how we're managing time right now is okay when's When's the next meal the next marker of time yeah i can't even open my blinds because it blinds me so i can't see on my computer so i don't even know what time of day it is i'm like it looks so pretty but i can't see because it's going to blind me so totally different than being in the office because at least with your teens you know you would walk around and see other people like oh they're eating what time is it yeah <laughs> another question that i've actually been asking people not on podcasts just in general what is the first thing you're hoping to do post pandemic mm, hug my friends i do miss hugs i am a hugger and i've not always been a hugger um, but I think that as I've, um, you know, as we get older and we understand that how precious life is, and we've all lost very people, some people who are very dear to us, um, I think holding your friends close and really telling them you love them and um, giving them that, that, you know, it's that personal and that um, connection. So I'm, I've kind of, you know, like I said, I, I lost someone um, a little precious, to, you know, very precious to me, a um, couple years ago and it was just it was a eye opening like I don't remember the last thing I said to him and I really want that last thing to be I love you um and so I try to tell my friends I love them and and that you know I'm very thankful for them and that's I would really like to hug my best friends (laughs) Molly you threw some epic friendsgivings like you know (laughs) it was fun I do love a good Friendsgiving. It's usually my favorite. It's usually my favorite event of the year, and we we did not go this year, so that's it's a, it's it's been hard to give up those those fun aspects of you know what we typically would do. And, I think I I didn't you know. realize that I was like I I was always thankful for them. But I didn't realize I was taking that for granted in that way. Of course, I don't think anybody could have expected that this is the world that we'd be living no. in. So no, hard to, hard to put that in perspective. Um. You know, with with I know with COVID and everything, we're all eager to kind of get out there and and get out mm-hmm. in the world. And and um, I know I had someone in my direct family. It's kind of not a question. It's more of just a statement that was diagnosed with COVID, and I had to in my direct family, and I had to 
take precautions to make sure that I followed the protocols and I hate it because I'm such a rebel. I'm like, no. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, okay, no, okay. So it's been mm-hmm. hard to accept, but um, yeah. I'm ready for it to be over so we can get, you know, like my son Mason, he's seven and I want to schedule play dates because he's so hyper and it's yes. just, and, and these other kids, that's what I looked, thought about fostering too, but just because there's so many kids I'm sure right now that are just suffering um, because they don't have parents that can support them or be there for them. Cause it's yeah. really hard, I think, to balance it. So I think I just, um, even this podcast was a, a good enjoyment of social engagement. So. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I'll let you guys know that I got my vaccination on Friday and I was sitting there and the nurse was, you know, telling me, okay, you have to wait for 15 minutes. And, you know, and I said, that's great. And so she's like, you know, just keep an eye out for side effects. I was like, well, what side effects are we expecting? I was like, are, is crying a side effect? Because I believe that's happening right now. And she was like, not a side effect, but we've seen a lot of that. So I said, I feel like it's, it's, it's coming. We're going to feel relief sometime soon, but there is still that heartache of, you know, not being able to be with our friends and our family and, but know that that sacrifice is noble for the greater good. Um, and I think that a lot of people don't really necessarily understand that, but it's coming. Relief is coming. Hopefully. Holly, thank you so much for joining us, uh, for joining me and Candace. It's been a great conversation. I, I really appreciate you telling your story and I'm sure that lots of people will appreciate it as well. Thank you. I've loved this. This has been a lot of fun for me as well. So my social therapy for the day. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, thank you so much to Holly again for joining us. Um, We are going to to wrap up this show a little bit. So as always, uh, we want you guys to join Staff Senate. So Candice, tell us a little bit about joining Staff Senate and being a part of our community. Well, for me, um, I, I want to say if you're interested in joining Staff Senate, please reach out. There will be elections coming later this semester, and you can be a part of making this change on campus. I've handed out T-shirts at Staff Appreciation Day for almost eight years now, so I was really excited to do my first year this year. And um, thank you for having me on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, Candace. Uh, for future nominations, if you want to send those to my email, rkst222 at uky.edu. Uh, you can also subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, this is a new year. Uh, we're all in 2021 now. Uh, let's all make an effort to make this year better than the last. Uh, it doesn't just magically become better because it's a new year. We have to make it better. Um, so wear your mask, get the vaccine if you are able, uh, and just check on those people around you. Make sure everyone is doing well. This has been the Kentucky Wildcast. Look out for our next episode in February. February.